you would, open in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9, or if you want to look in your bulletin, it's printed out for you there. Isaiah chapter 9. Before we get started, um, a lot of things have competed for your attention this week. You know, after Thanksgiving, everybody is wanting you to come to their stores, to read their advertisements. Um, you're just being bombarded with things, and your, uh, your, your mind is fractured. It's going here and there, and you're reading so many things. And so I, I just want us to recognize that what we're about to read is different than anything else your eyes have, have looked at or, or things the world has tried to draw your attention to. What we are looking at is the Word of God. And so take just a moment. I want to give you a, a gift that probably you have not had this week, and that's a gift of silence. And so just take a moment, quiet your heart before the Lord, before we read. Hear these words from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Pray with me. God, we pray that you would honor the reading of your word, that even now it would begin seeping into our hearts, working its change through the power of your spirit. God, I pray that my words right now would blow, fall to the ground and blow away and not be remembered anymore, Lord, but your words would remain and they would transform us. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Besides the, uh, the greeting or the phrase Merry Christmas um, or perhaps Christmas sale, um, the, uh, the slogan or the phrase that people most think of when they think of Christmas is peace on earth. Peace on earth. Uh, We celebrate the day that the Prince of Peace came to this world. That's what Christmas is all about. Now, when I hear the word peace, I have this image that that just pops in my head. Um, And it's something like my my family sitting around a cozy fire wearing uh, pajamas, Um, sipping on some warm cocoa, uh, playing games by the fire, and everything just kind of being peaceful. That's that's the image I have of peace. Let me tell you, last night, the Brooks family achieved that. Um, Last night, was we were the postcard of peace, if you will. Uh, Early in the morning, we got up and we went to Beaver Tree Farm, and we, we got our tree. We hunted down our tree, and we all took turns sawing it down, brought it back home, and that evening, we decorated the tree, and we had Christmas music going on. We had our hot cocoa. Um, We were wearing our pajamas. Um, It was just this great evening of of putting up all the ornaments, and if you had taken a postcard, a picture, you would have said, that that is the epitome of peace. The, The problem with that is we also had whining, we also had complaining. We also had, this hot chocolate is way too hot, I'm not drinking it. 
We also had spankings. We also had Lauren and I uh, being short with one another about which ornaments to put where. We, we had all this stuff. And so this was going on along with the postcard of peace. Perhaps you can relate to that. Or perhaps you think the Brooks are just exceptionally evil people. There's, there's probably a mixture of both there. Um, what, what does it mean, peace on earth? And how exactly is Jesus the prince of peace? Uh, when the angels came to declare to the shepherds what, what we had heard read earlier, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace on peace to among whom he is pleased, uh, what exactly were they declaring when they said that? Uh, were they declaring at this moment, there is an end to war. Violence will be no more. There will no longer be conflict because the peace child is coming. Is, is that what they were declaring? That's usually what we think of when we think of peace. Except all you have to do is look at the last 2,000 years and you realize that it is, there's been horrific violence. Unending wars. Now all I have to do is listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew 10 when he says, I tell you, I did not come to bring peace. I tell you, I did not come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. You don't see that on many Christmas ornaments when you're putting them on the tree. Jesus came to bring a sword. No, it's peace on earth. But, but, but what is that... What does that mean, peace on earth? Well, first off, you have to realize peace only needs to be declared. Peace only needs to be brought to a people who are at war. If there's already peace, it doesn't need to be declared to you. It doesn't need to be brought. So there is a war going on. Peace needed to be brought to humanity. Not primarily because there was fighting with one another, There was fighting with God. Humanity was against God. Paul makes this abundantly clear in Romans 5 when he says that while we were still weak, Christ died for the ungodly. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. So before Jesus came, apart from Jesus, I should say, apart from Him, we were, we were weak, ungodly, sinners, enemies of God. Uh, we, we were not like Switzerland, you know, some neutral country, like, okay, we, just, we refuse to have a position here. No, we made our position clear, and we were at war with our Creator, Now, this is opposed to everything else in creation, which is at perfect peace with God. Um, We we are the only creatures that rebelled and went to war against our Creator. Um, You look at a tree. A tree is not rebelling against the Lord. Uh, A tree is doing exactly what God created a tree to do. It's growing. It's, It's bearing fruit. It's providing shade. And it does it all to the glory of God. A deer is doing exactly what, what the Lord created a deer to do. It, it's, it's running, it's grazing, it's doing all those things to the glory of God. Birds are doing what they were created to do. They are, they're flying, they're chirping and singing, they're doing that all to the glory of God. But humanity, people decided to rebel against their Creator. 
We were created to enjoy God and glorify Him forever. And instead, we wanted to enjoy ourselves and to glorify ourselves forever. And so we parted from what we were created to do, thus declaring war on our Creator. And this is what Christmas is about. That even though we had declared war against God, God sent the peace child. He sent the ambassador. He sent His own Son to come and to bring peace. And He lived the perfect life we should have lived, died the death we should have died, and then He rose victorious from the grave. And so all of that hostility, all of that anger and that wrath that God was going to pour out on His enemies in this war, poured out on His Son, Jesus. And it has brought us peace. Peace. And now God is no longer our enemy. He's our friend. This is what the Bible calls peace with God. Peace with God. Um, and you need to make a distinction with another phrase, which is peace of God. First, we get the peace with God, meaning we are we're no longer at war with God. And once we get the peace with God, then God gives the peace of God upon us. Because there's a problem. Once, once God becomes our friend, once, I guess, we switch allegiances and we become his ally, we gain all new enemies. You know, when, when God was our enemy, he was a friendly enemy. He was a kind enemy. He reached out to us. He had compassion on us. He was always trying to bring us in. But God's enemies are not like that. And now that God has brought us to his side, made us his friend, made us his allies, we now inherit his enemies. And they're ruthless. But God says, now that you have peace with me, in this battle I will give you my peace. The peace of God will rest upon you during this. It's the peace of God that I, I think I wrestle with most in my life. Um, I bet this is where most of us struggle with uh, as well. Because our lives usually don't resemble peace. Um, perhaps we need to uh, think of peace differently. We, we tend to think of peace circumstantially. Um, peace comes when you have financial stability. It comes when you're working less hours. It comes when your kids are well-behaved. Um, shoot, at, you know, at our house, peace, peace is a clean kitchen. You know, peace, peace is a, a tidy home and, and an hour of quiet. Uh, and so circumstantial peace is, what, is typically what we think of. You know, it's a paid vacation. It's, it's being able to, to lie in a hammock on an afternoon or to watch a football game without being interrupted. Uh, that, that's peace. But that's not what the Bible defines as peace. This is not the peace of God. Jesus told his disciples in John 15, 27, he said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. I mean, those are profound words. I give you now peace, but it's unlike any peace you've ever experienced. 
It's not how you visualize peace. It's not how you think peace should come to you. It's in no way a circumstantial peace. That's not what I give. We see this in the life of Jesus. I mean, we read from Isaiah 9 that calls Jesus the Prince of Peace. He's the Prince of Peace. Yet, what exactly about Jesus' life was peaceful? I mean, when, when you just kind of walk through his life, what, what exactly was peaceful? Was his, let's look at the beginning of his life. Was his birth peaceful? Uh, Jesus was born to uh, an unwed mother who had to travel a long distance, and even though she was due any day, she had to you know, get on a donkey and travel. Um, there was no room for her, no hospital, no place for her to have Jesus, so she had to go into a barn. Jesus is born into a barn, and he is put in a trough. There's nothing peaceful about the way he was, he was born. I mean, now, I mean, we have suites at hospitals. I mean, it's like luxury. I mean, last time Lauren had a baby, when, we had, when she had a baby, I was her support. Uh, when we had Georgia, we didn't want to leave. It was vacation. I mean, you got all your cable TV, Law & Order reruns. You know, you just, we could just sit there and be waited on hand and foot. That's what having a baby's like. Not being born in a barn, being put in a trough. We get stressed out because we cannot pick our right nursery colors. Because we can't afford the latest luxury stroller. The Prince of Peace was put in a trough. The things we're anxious over. Jesus was born to dirt poor parents. When he grew up, he had to work hard. He had to work very hard. Uh, Joseph, his father, died at some point. We're not sure when. But Jesus, being the eldest son, would have taken the head of the family. So now he's taking care of a grieving widow, grieving mother. He's having to provide for his younger brothers. That's not a peaceful situation. Yet, that was his lot. Perhaps when he got old enough to, to go to ministry, may, maybe when his brothers were old enough to take care of the family and, and he could leave, he launched out into his ministry, but things did not get more peaceful. He was homeless. He wandered around. He was completely dependent upon other people giving him food, giving him shelter. He didn't have anybody who understood him. His own family wanted him put in an institution Stressful life, crazy life, yet he's the Prince of Peace. It's amazing that when you look at Jesus, he had no creature comforts. He had no possessions to call his own. His workload was greater than any of yours. Yet the peace of God reigned. You know, it's, it's remarkable. You just read through the Gospels, and um, everybody's pushing up against Jesus, saying, hey, we want you to do this, do that, do this, and you got to be here. You gotta... And Jesus is never rushed. You ever notice that? You read through the Gospels, and they're like, hey, you got to come. You know, your, your friend's going to die. And he's like, yeah. He waits three days, waits, waits till Lazarus is already dead, and then he goes. He's never rushed. 
The father's like, please, you got to come. you gotta, you got to heal my girl. She's going to die any moment. And he says, yeah. And he walks in and he takes time to talk with a hemorrhaging woman. Has a, has a little conversation with her. And the, the father's like, my girl's dying. Jesus was never rushed. He's never stressed. Never anxious. Never fearful. He was the prince of peace. He was at peace with God. And so the peace of God rested on him. Despite any circumstance. The only time... The only time Jesus was ever anxious, and this tells us so much about what it means to have the peace of God. The only time Jesus was ever anxious, ever fearful, ever stressed, was in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's the only time. And Jesus was so so stressed, so anxious. Uh, He had such a panic attack, if you will. His body kind of goes into shock. His capillaries begin busting. He actually starts sweating drops of blood in this moment. And so anxiety overtook him in a way that we we cannot imagine. He's no longer the prince of peace here. He's the prince of worry. He's the prince of anxiety. Why? It's because at that moment, he didn't feel any peace with God. That moment he felt at war. At that moment, him who knew no sin became sin. And now with his father waging war against him, and the full wrath of God about to be poured on him at the cross, there is no peace. He is distressed beyond belief. And so when we look at Jesus, we see so much about what does it mean to have peace? Well, the key is peace with God gives us the peace of God in everything. Listen, if if you're a Christian, the biggest questions in life are answered for you. If you're a Christian, the biggest answers in life, if you know one one of the biggest questions out there is um, what, what is my purpose in life? Why am I here? Answered. It's, it's to enjoy God and to glorify Him forever. Boom. You got your answer. Next big, big question. What happens when I die? Because we're all going to die. What, what's going to happen? Well, you're going to go be with Jesus and be in His joyful presence forever. Question. Answered. Do you realize people would kill to have the answers to those questions? Many people go through all of life wondering, why am I here? What is my purpose? How can my life have any meaning? Death is approaching me. What's going to happen when I die? And they go through all of life so anxious. But the biggest questions, the biggest anxieties in life have been taken care of. The huge issues are settled. And so when you, when you see those huge issues settled, then when you start thinking of things like, where am I going to live? What color am I going to paint the nursery? Yeah, it kind of gives you a little perspective, doesn't it? You begin not feeling so anxious. Now, it's not that choosing a place to live or choosing paint colors or stuff like that is not, not important. Just compare with the huge issues of life. They're not a big deal. 
you know, we saw this in our study of Acts um, a number of weeks ago. Uh, you know, we're taking a break going through Acts for our Advent season. Um, but if you want to flip, flip way forward to Acts chapter 9. Flip to Acts chapter 9. We'll look at verse 29. And just to set the, uh, the stage here, speaking of stage, I'm going to move over here because this thing's squeaking like mad. Here we go. Um, this passage comes at a time of intense persecution for the Christians. Um, they are uh, having their homes taken away from them. They're, they're being arrested. Some are being tortured and killed. The loved ones are being stripped or taken out of their homes from their families. This is, this is a bad time to be a Christian. Verse 29, And he spoke, that's Paul, And Paul spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It multiplied. Now this is the first time we have the word peace in the book of Acts. It didn't come at Pentecost. It didn't come in any of the, the sermons. What it comes is there a time of intense persecution. And they're like, and they were all at peace. They had comfort. Peace and comfort despite circumstances for God's church. All right, let's get practical. How, how, how does that become a reality in our lives? How, when we leave these doors here, how does the peace of God become a reality in our life? And I want us to look at two scriptures. Um, turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. This is uh, one of the famous chapters in the Bible. Um, Paul is writing this letter from prison. We'll begin reading in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be made known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. All right, so Paul's in prison. First thing he writes is rejoice. Kind of an absurd command, like you can tell somebody to have an emotion. You, be joyful. You know, but, but he does it. We're going to look at that next week when we look at joy for our third week of Advent. But after this, his next command is don't be anxious about anything. Um, I'll confess, I'm, I'm not a big worrier. Uh, maybe I should, you know, maybe it's because I just don't have the intelligence to think that far ahead. And, and, and so, and so I, I can't really worry about those things. Uh, but, but I'm not a big worrier, but even I have kind of a problem when I hit a verse like this. Because it says, do not be anxious about anything. I and mean, there's no wiggle room. 
I mean, there, there's no like exception clause there that you could kind of pull out. Yeah, but what about this, God? No, he's like, you, you cannot be anxious about anything. Not one area of your life are you allowed to be anxious over. And so when, it, when that hits me, I just kind of crumble. And there's a number of reasons for that. For one, if you worry, worrying is nothing more than atheism. That's all it is. Functionally, it's, it's just atheism. Because you're worrying because you, you refuse to believe that there's a God in control of your life. And so you're actually functioning like an atheist. So next time you worry, just, just fess up to it. Hey, I'm an atheist. At this moment, I'm, I'm having a hard time believing in a, a God out there taking care of me. The problem is, uh, uh, we all worry. You can try to avoid it, but, but worry is going to come to you. Sometimes it's going to come in big waves to you. Um, and what Paul is commanding us to do here is, what do you do when worry first comes? When, when, you, when you hear the door knock and you open and there's anxiousness, there's worry at your doorstep, what do you do in that first moment when it arises? This is what Paul is telling us to do. When anxiety first hits, what do you do? Paul says, pray and humbly ask for help. That's supplication. Supplication means to humbly ask for help. So we go to God with our prayer request. And then the next part is the key to the passage. It says that we are to make our request with thanksgiving. Or with thanksgiving, make your request to God. So with thanksgiving. This doesn't really make sense at first. Because... This is how we operate. We ask somebody for something, they give it to us, and then we say, thank you. Natalie, will you pass the salt? Here you go, Dad. Thank you. That's, that's a normal transaction. But here it says we make our request with thanksgiving. So as we ask God, God, I need help. God, I need this Thank you before we ever get a thing. So, so we are thanking the giver before we ever get a gift. And that's the key to getting rid of anxiety. Because the key to getting rid of anxiety is not the answer that God gives. It's the person he is. And we recognize, like, God, whatever you give, it's going to be good for me. Whatever you give. And so I'm thanking you before you ever give anything. Because I know you are good. How can you be stressed when you know you have such a good God? You know, so much of our anxiety comes from not knowing. We, we, we don't know what tomorrow holds. We, we don't know what the test results are going to reveal. We don't know if our spouse is still going to care for us you know, after these things. We don't know. But here we do know every time we come before God that he is good and he will give us exactly what we need. It might not be what we want, but it'll be what we need. And so we can say, thank you, God, for whatever you give. And when we do this, Paul says, when you do this, it says, in the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
Next passage, turn to Ephesians chapter 6. So go back one book. I don't know how you memorize Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. I did General Electric Power Company. Um, Ephesians chapter 6, another famous chapter. Uh, This is when Paul talks about putting on the full armor of God. And he talks about the gospel of peace. It's it's a strange place. We're going to talk about peace in a chapter that's all about armor and fighting. But remember, when, when we were reconciled to God, when we have peace with God, and he is now our friend, we inherited all new enemies. And so we are in a battle, and now we need the peace of God as we are in this battle. And Paul is saying you need to stand firm against your adversary, and this is how. You've got to put on the armor, and he starts talking through this. Let's, uh, let's begin in verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. <laughs> Just stop right there. That's, that's hilarious. I mean, Paul's writing this. I mean, you almost want to say, Paul, well, who gave you the black eye? You know? Where did all the scars on your back come from? Uh, so who exactly arrested you? Who threw you in prison? Who argues with you every day? It's flesh and blood, Paul. He says, no. That, that's the symptom of what's happening. That's not the actual war. Don't get stressed over this, over that, over these little circumstantial things, because that's not really what's going on. Look behind it. There is a spiritual war. That's what I want you to fight against. You're not wrestling against the people all those circumstances. Man, it's going to take forever to get through this if I, if I can't even read the first line. All right. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. All right, so Paul is saying, you've got to put on armor. And when he gets to the gospel of peace, though, he tells you to put on something, he tells you to put this on in a way different than everything else. You would expect him to say, the shoes of the gospel of peace, but he doesn't. He doesn't say that. In other places, he says this. He goes, put on the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit. You would think the shoes of the gospel of peace, but he doesn't say that. This is what he does say. He says, put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. You don't actually put on the gospel of peace. You're to put on readiness of the gospel of peace, given by the gospel of peace. All right, so, so, so why the distinction there? What, what's really going on? What Paul is saying here is, in order to stand firm, your adversary is attacking you. In order to stand firm, you've got to be ready Because he's going to hit you when you least expect it. He's going to hit you from all angles. It might be your job. It might be your spouse. It might be just just general depression. He's going to hit you. You've got to always be ready. 
And so what you need to put on is readiness that comes from reminding yourself of the Gospel of peace. And so we remind ourselves constantly of the Gospel that our big issues in life are settled that we are no longer at war with God. And as we're reminding ourselves and reminding of ourselves, then whatever comes our way, whatever sickness comes to our children, whatever family tragedy hits, whatever financial crisis hits, we're ready. We're prepared. The gospel has made us ready. That's, that's what Paul's talking about here. When he says we are to put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. You know, I was, um, about a year ago, I went to Indonesia, and uh, I was with a group of other pastors. Um, I, I was the, the little teeny fish among all the real big, big fish. It was, I think, the, ne- the pastor of the next smallest church, his congregation was like 3,500 or something like that. Um, and I, I got to listen to one of the pastors there, we're, we're preaching or teaching Indonesian pastors. So you've got all these Indonesian pastors and Indonesian missionaries. They're gathered around. And so this pastor gets up and he preaches for eight hours. He was one of the guys on our trip for eight hours, preached. Um, and he was, he was going through the life of Jericho, or the life of, oh, sorry. He was going through Joshua, and he was talking about Jericho. And uh, he never mentioned Jesus. Eight hours, never mentioned Jesus. Um, I, I was about to pull my hair out. I, Looking back, if I'd been obedient, I should have got up a chair and just knocked him out. But I'm confessing, I sinned. I sinned, and I just sat there, and I just, I just listened um, as he was saying this and telling these pastors, you know, what is, what's the walls of Jericho in your life? Is it drugs? You know, and, uh, you know is, it, uh, is it materialism? And I'm like, they've given up everything. They're in Indonesia serving as missionaries. You know, it's not materialism. But, but, but the, the, the point... The final driving home point, this is so therapeutic for me to just say all this, is this pastor, he got up and he said, he's talking about setting up an altar, setting up a stone of remembrance. And he said, how can we be assured that God is for us? How? How can we be assured? How can we remind ourselves that God loves us? And I'm thinking, finally we get to Jesus. And he's cued the slideshow and he said, this is a picture of my church five years ago and it was half empty. And he said, cued it again, showed it, picture of his church full. And he said, when I need to remind myself how much God loves me, all I have to do is look at these two pictures and I know that God is with me. And I wanted to die when he was saying that to these people who have served and maybe have gone years without a single conversion. You're going to go home feeling such condemnation and guilt. I'm like, no, you want to know why, why Jesus loves you? How God loves you? Look at the cross. And we got to remind ourselves over and over again that we were at war with God, but at the cross He has given us peace. And I can know that He loves me. And so whenever some, some stressful situation, whenever some sickness, some job insecurity, whenever I open the door and there is worry and I pray and I can say, thank you, God, because I know you love me. Amen. You love me. And I never have to be in doubt of that because all I have to do is look at the cross. That is, that's a rock. 
That's why we don't have to worry about anything. Because the Prince of Peace has come. And we have peace with God. And now the peace of God should define our lives. Pray with me. God, there is so much there. Forgive me of any areas I made muddy that should have been clear. I feel like we just scratched the surface of your truth. But Lord, the truth that is there right now, dig it deep into our hearts. In this moment. Lord, some of us here just don't believe the gospel. I'm not saying we're not Christians. We, 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 we believe it. But on a practical level, on a day-to-day, when, when we're faced with all these little anxieties and stresses and situations, it, it somehow leaves us because we're not ready. So I pray we would ready ourselves with the shoes of the gospel of peace. And God, never let us for a moment, moment, doubt your love and your goodness towards us. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.